Welcome to the AKC Podcast, an audio resource for the King's community following the Associateship of King's College programme. The AKC is an inclusive, research-led programme of lectures, which explore diverse religious and cultural perspectives. For more information, visit kcl.ac.uk forward slash AKC. Lecture resources and further reading links for this lecture are available on the AKC Keats area. Thank you for your welcome. It's a real honour and a pleasure to be with you this afternoon and to be sharing this conversation with two interesting and inspiring friends and colleagues. My name's Julie. I'm currently based up in North London, a parish priest in Hendon. And over the time of my ordained ministry, I found myself working um, theologically in the area of sacraments and sacramentality, but also thinking about the relationship between the church and the world and what we might mean by exploring the dynamics of God's kingdom. And in my previous role based at Guildford Cathedral, that led me to be engaging in a much more intentional way with uh, the visual arts in particular. So it's a real delight to be facilitating a conversation between Graham and the work that he's produced, particularly focusing um, on the Eternal Engine, and my colleague Andrew, who is a colleague based with me up in, up in Hendon, but was um, one of the people who was playing a formative role in developing this project. So in a little moment, um, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves, and then over the time we have together this afternoon, we'll be exploring something of the process of developing this particular work of art in a very specific context exploring um, the journey and the process, the risk-taking and the trust-building that that entailed, but then looking at the impact of that piece of work in that space, that hybrid space of a church that's also a community centre, and beginning to unpack some of the questions around the legacy of engaging in such a work. But first, I'm going to hand over to Graham to say a little bit about his own background. Hello, hello. Uh, great to be here. Um, right, uh, I know that we've got a very small window of time, so I'm not going to talk about my work because let an artist speak about themselves, they're going for ages. <laughs> um, so, I'm originally from Luton, my parents are Jamaican. And uh, I was born in a council estate, that kind of thing. Um, and I've been involved with, with music and uh, visual art for most of my life. And uh, I came into this, this work in ecclesiastical work through a work I did at uh, Gloucester Cathedral. And essentially, this gives you a, a brief idea that I'll... I'll uh, let Andrew take over, uh, why I am inspired to do work like this. So I was asked to do the Stations of the Cross for Gloucester Cathedral, and I had to give a pitch to the dean, the uh, very reverend, and I didn't know what a very reverend was. And um, so he asked me to come down to, and explain why I was interested in doing the Stations of the Cross. And I said, 
Um, my parents are Jamaican. Uh, I'm a Buddhist, but I would like to make the Stations of the Cross accessible to atheists. And he said, oh, how are you going to do that? And I explained, and said, well, as long as you allow me to subvert the, the message, I'm able to bring people in to experience the importance of Stations of the Cross. So he was intrigued enough to allow me to do that. Um, I thought he was a bit of a madman back then, um, but it seemed to have paid off. And uh, that work is now actually in, in situ at St. Francis right now. Uh, but the, the importance of doing of that work, it allowed me to see the, the power of visual art. I didn't really see it until then. Uh, for me, it was all about researching, watching every God film there is, um, and creating the Stations of the Cross. It was only when I saw that in situ and being used, I understood how, uh, how powerful visual arts is, um, especially for anything about the sacred. Um, and then I went on to do the altarpiece at St. Stephen's in Bristol. And uh, from then on, I went on to do the the internal engine. I think that's a really helpful setup, yeah. Graham, in terms of your own practice um, and your way of engaging with uh, churches who are wanting to, um, to present contemporary visual works of art. But I'm going to hand over to Andrew. If you can just say, Andrew, a little bit about your connection with the area of Tottenham and maybe your, something of your personal story and the context that you were inviting Graham into as an artist. It was a real pleasure to work with, with Graham in Tottenham. So I working in the area for probably about 15 years over that time um, and mainly on housing estates um, supporting local people involved that were really keen to um, uh, transform their own local communities especially alongside churches um, and my own background you know I was brought up in King's Cross on the housing estate there um, and the local church that I was I was really fortunate to be a part of uh, were really reflected those communities and and perhaps maybe they wouldn't have un unless the, the ch church I went to was called All Saints and it burnt down about 50 years ago. And then they started meeting out from their church hall and they began to see the other local people in their communities. And I'm not advocating for burning down churches, but it had a positive <laughs> outcome in this case. Um, and so, it, so that's, that's always been part of my practice, how I've been working in communities has been alongside those. Um, because recognizing this is how God works alongside people. Um, so yeah, so it, you know, it was the context of the riots. You know, I was around during the time on Broadwater Farm and Tiverton Estate and a couple of other housing estates. Um, and it's the history of the of of that. You know, when when there was massive cuts in the area um, just a few months previous, all the all the activities, all the, um, all the support for local people had just been taken away. It felt like their hands and their feet had been tied together. Um, you know, so they can't go anywhere and they can't do anything. Um, yet, um, also recognizing within that, there's, there was a long history of people, um, of people wanting to bring social change in their area. So, you know, along the lines of um, Bernie Grant or Marcus Garvey um, and those people. Um, had left a real legacy of um, local, imp 
local activism, um, especially alongside the local churches. And so, you know, when one of the youth clubs had to close down, um, it was the local churches that took over those, those, those provisions. And so it, it's, it's in one's hand, you know, you've got all these negative stuff that happens because of the riots. Mark Duggan getting shot right outside Ferry Lane Estate was the area that we worked on specifically, um, as well as uh, a real energy for people wanting to bring social change because that's just the way that things happen in that community. Thank you, Andrew. That's, um, I hope, giving you a sense of the context that, that Andrew and Graham were working in um, as they took up this commission. And I wonder if we can move into reflecting a little bit on that intersection between theology, the life of a faith community, the wider community, and the arts in this context. And I know when we were reflecting on uh, the scoping of this commission, we were thinking a little bit about the pace at which you work within a community in terms of bringing people um, with you. And one of the things I know my late supervisor, Dan Hardy, talked about a lot was that, that Jesus literally walked the land. That was the pace at which he moved. And so Hardy's challenge to the church was, you know, how, how much do we actually go at walking pace, being with, being alongside um, our communities? So I wonder if we can begin to just unpack some of that in the neighbourhood that you're working with um, as you began to scope this project in response to, to the wider community. I don't know, Andrew, whether you want to begin with that and then bring, bring Graham in. Yeah. Um, I think some of the theology that we really engaged with was around sort of um, perichoresis and, and allowing, um, sort of recognising that um, there was this dance of God um, uh, between uh, not just, you know, not just, you know, God's self being, you know, um, creator, redeemer, sustainer, but also um, that this draws, this was an invitation that draws people in. Um, and how do we, within what we do, how do we make sure that we are always drawing people in? And I think that was, um, we wanted that to be reflected within the artwork as well. Um, and, and you know, so when we contemplate what that means, you know. Um, I'll give a, a slight background about how I, how I got this gig, which was uh, uh, a friend of mine who, was, who I worked with at St. Stephen's. He was the architect. He said, there's this commission going forward to do an altarpiece in London. And, uh, and he said, you should, you, know, you should go for it. Now, I already thought that this was already done. It's a done deal. They've already found their artist already. But um, because of my, the long process that you talked about, that it takes to make a work, um, that one in particular, that was a very long process of being involved, embedded with the community. And I felt very strongly um, that even though it was highly unlikely I was going to get this gig, hardly, highly unlikely, that I would go to this um, commission and give them advice about how to pick the correct artist for, for work like this so they understand just how important it is for the artist um, to be embedded in it. So I had no, <laughs> I, I, 
I thought I'd never get this. Anyway, so they, they, um, uh, they, they picked me for this. But when I, what I was astonished by is when they said, you need, correct me if I'm wrong, Andrews. <laughs> you said, uh, you need to make a new image for God and there's no representation. So then I was obviously like, wow, this is a big one. So they, I need to make a, a new image for God. What does that mean? And so it was, we talked about the prayer of talked about Trinity. And at that point, I didn't realize that uh, the, the terms for Trinity had changed. I was brought up Pentecostal Methodist as being Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that kind of thing. And then I was introduced to it, reintroduced as being creator, redeemer, sustainer. So the word creator then opens up everything. And, and this is, you know, this is around about, uh, around about 26, 2017, 2016, 2016, wasn't it? 2016, of course. Yeah, yeah so 2016. And, um, you know, around about this, t- about this time, we've already had Brexit. We've already had Trump. No one agrees with each other. No one in their dog agrees with each other. And so at this point, I, um, when we were thinking about a creator, I said, but there must be something that we agree upon. And so I went about it with finding out it was one thing we could agree upon. And then I thought, well, without the sun, we'd all be dead, right? So... At least we can agree upon that. <laughs> right. And um, so and that opened up even more for me. Right. So when you open a uh, thing about the cosmos and, this, and, this, and you're getting to know about the, the crazy maths of, of the cosmos, uh, like, you know, it takes eight minutes for sunlight to reach us. Uh, so that's eight, like, light minutes and it takes... For four hours to reach Neptune, and you think, "Wow, that's that's crazy." And then you know, at the centre of our galaxy, there's a black hole. Without that black hole, we wouldn't be alive. And the black hole is 27,000 light years away from us. So he opened up this idea. I think when someone talks to me, when I've had obviously I've been amongst uh, Christians and uh, different. Um, faith and, but I've, especially growing up Jamaican Pentecostal and Rastafari and things like that everyone was talking about the will of God so I was very confused about this God is massive so you know you've got this massive galaxy and then there's billions of us so when someone says I know the will of God I'm I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's, that's quite a claim, actually. That's quite a claim. Um, so what happened was when I was given this commission, this building didn't even exist. It was just dust and concrete. That's all it was. Uh, and one of my main um, commitments to this in order for me to say, well, I will take this gig was... I needed to find a space that was close enough to work in. 
um, so I can be embedded with the community because that's the experience I had with St. Stephen's. And um, that's the training I had as an artist to work in this space um, because the work is going to be there permanently. Um, and one quick thing before I pass it off, and this is, I wanted to interview the, one of the main instigators for this church, which was Richard, Richard Charters. And um, at this time, I was kind of really researching solar systems, universe, things like that, and science and how, uh, how religion relates to this and everything. And um, I had a one-to-one -one with Richard uh, when we were sitting in this, and it was all concrete. It was just concrete. And I, I turned around to him and said, look, uh, could you just got a quick question. What's your thoughts about God in the universe? Um, and he says, well, that's an interesting question, that. He said, you know, we've got uh, an issue here in the, in the church uh, that our main, um, our main competitors is Star Wars and Harry Potter. <laughs> so, wow, this is... I asked him, well, could you open that? He said, well, you know, the, the main thing about Creator is it's all about wonder and mystery. And it was from that one conversation that actually inspired the visuals of that, about wonder and mystery, things that we're never going never gonna to be able to understand truly. Um, and that was the way that I could universalize that message and the Trinity, if that makes sense. Oh, thank you, Graeme. And um, Richard Charters at that time was the Bishop of London. So the significance of that conversation of, of, of the bishop actually being able to be part of that local conversation and that local process. Graham, you've really ho helpfully opened up that sense of, of wonder and of creativity. And I wonder if I can come back to you, Andrew. I think one of the phrases that you were using in relation to this process, that it was embedded, Graham himself embedded in the community as close as he could be, working with something that was literally foundations up and you talked about that as being a sort of a sacred process. I wonder if you could just unpack some of that in terms of the sacredness, building trust with the community, with your neighbours. Yeah. What did that look like? Oh, just first of all, um, you were quite clearly the one that we were aiming for. <laughs> um, and partly because of your desire to journey with people and to journey with the community and work at that pace. Um, that was something that we were really impressed with and that you weren't just drawing in um, uh, from one community, but you were drawing in from the wider community and the specific issues that were happening in those communities um, and weren't afraid to be um, to engage with them um, in a way that reflected within religious art, which I think needs to be right on the edge anyway. So thank you. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, so the sacredness, and in some sense, it's for us, it was, um, we knew within our own local communities, actually, that the church needs to learn to be um, form, formed by that local community. Um, and, tr and in some sense, in that sense of being sort of transformed with and alongside it. Um, you know, on, in a housing estate, you can't really choose your neighbours, you know, there's not that agency in that sense, but you are you are formed and transformed by the people that are around you um, that you don't necessarily choose, but they will form you and your family. Um, and actually, that's such a beautiful thing. Um, 
and what what resists that is a sense of I can't trust my community or there's isolation or there's violence and actually what we were encouraging within our work was actually no there's there's this space that we can um, be mutually formed by each other in the positive sense um, and so that journey you know being able to have really significant people that were around. So there was a, a wonderful lady, Filipino lady called uh, Rosie. She was she worked on in um, Ferry Lane uh, Primary School. She was uh, um, she helped with um, in lots of different things over there. Uh, but she knew everybody. And for us, you know, she, her passion to be able to um, impact her local community and see it really thrive was mainly inspired by her own two daughters. Um, wanting them to be brought up in a place that um, that encouraged their faith as well as saw people um, with human dignity, and that was, you know, that that became part of who we are, and we were forever transformed by her, um, as well as many other significant people who were people of faith as well as people without faith or other faiths as well. Thank you, and I think we've got. Um, uh, an image of uh, Voyager, the pillars of creation, which is one of the first things you, you made, Graham, in response to this project, as well as some images of uh, Graham at work. And I know um, in terms of thinking about the impact of this project, I wonder whether you could say a little bit about your interaction with Ben and, and the way in which your way of working and this project had a significant impact on him as an individual, as an artist. Uh, right, so Ben is a very interesting how um, uh, <laughs> much time we've got for this. Um, so I wonder if you could bring up a, another image of me working. Or, so right, okay. So you can see the size of these panels, and there's uh, there's nine of them, nine panels. They're huge. They're like like 40, uh, 40, 40 mil thick, so it's really thick um, MDF that I'm carving. So I'm hand carving them, and um, I'm up to the sixth one, and my hands are shaking because I'm, I'm carving so much. And uh, so Andrew calls me. Uh, they Essentially, they've given me a lock keeper's cottage right next to the canal to work with, a three-bedroom cottage on my own. And so all I see is swans and Dutch barges and long, long, long boats. And so I had to set up this studio quite close. So I'm working there 12, 14 hours a day, carving, 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 carving. And I get a call from Andrew and he says, there's an artist who would like to meet you. He's only 18, I think. An artist, he's 18, come on. <laughs> right, and... So he brings him around, and I just wanted to meet this artist who's 18. And um, so, and I thought, why well, I'm going to scare the daylights out of him about if, if he said he's going to be an artist. So everything I was throwing at, the, at, this, at this guy, he wasn't, he, he was almost determined that he was an artist. And I thought, I can't scare him, he's, I'm not scaring him enough. Um, and they went away, and then you called me, I think, or Ben called me and said, I'm going to work with you. It wasn't 
can I please work with you? I'm going to work with you. And I was astonished by this guy's, you know, he was just obviously very forward, very forward. But I thought, look, when I was 18, I wouldn't mind someone giving me, giving me a chance. So, you know what, I'm going to appeal to my inner 18-year-old and, and bring him on. And I, immediately I said to him, I'm going to give you uh, the people that I've had assistants work with me and have always, always had degrees. A master's or a degree, at least. And this is, he hasn't even got a foundation. He hasn't been to school or anything. So I said, right, okay, I'm just going to give you, um, like, I'm just going to throw PhD level stuff at you. And essentially, he helped me the last three. So to the point where by the third one, uh, he was helping me to carve it. And by the time he was 19, he had his first solo exhibition. And for me, that was one of the biggest um, kind of achievements of the whole lot. Was, and he, he achieved it himself because he just said, I'm an artist, you know, um, which, uh, which gave him a, you know, a head start anyway. Um, but the, uh, if, I don't know if you want to show any more of the, the kind of process. So you get an idea, oh, if you go back one, please. Yeah, that one. So you get an idea of the, the scale of it uh, and how it's, and the reason why I did that, again, uh, it's, it's a modern contemporary work, but it has to have uh, a kind of reference back to the Renaissance, to, to, to the slow making of uh, which, this is all hand carved. If you, when you go to a, a kind of, you go to the continent, you go to a church in Germany, France, Spain, Italy, you're amazed and in awe about the, the art there. And you know that it's been hand carved. You know it's been, it's taken a long time. These churches, these edifices have taken a long time. Uh, and that gives the, the viewer um, and the churchgoer uh, and the people that maintain that space always keep it, in, they're in awe of it. Um, and so it's very important for me to, to show that, the, that this work is handmade. It's not been done by a machine or anything like that. That's why my hands were sh shaking like crazy. Um, I don't know if you want to go. Yeah. Um, uh yeah, I'm sorry that we didn't really care about your <laughs> your hands. <laughs> I, I, I guess our, our, our thing with, with asking Ben was because Ben really reflected um, our community so well. So yeah, he yeah, was a young, a young man who displaced in so many different ways, yet um, actually he was really searching for community, he was searching for family, um, and he was searching for a way out. Not a way out, but a way deeper in, in some sense. Um, and that, that for me, you know, him working with you, I knew that actually that would be a, a real um, place where he could um, articulate some of the things that, that he already intuitively knew about himself and about his community. And him journeying with you was, we knew would be the right thing. And we were, again, really grateful that you said yes, even if the motivation were, you know, I was, I was grateful he saved your hands. <laughs> Yeah, and, and yeah, he was. His, he still is a force of nature. It's yeah. great. Um, yeah. Thank you both. I mean, that brilliant example of 
taking the risk on another person mm. to be part of this creative process. And again, emphasizing that kind of time taking, the pace of this uh, as a project, enabling it to be embedded, enabling the trust to be built up. And I wonder if I can invite you to reflect a little bit more about what that meant, what that felt like in terms of, in a way, putting the space at risk itself and how um, you were able to draw people into uh, the ownership of this as a work of art. And I think, Graeme, you talked about you know, the risk and the challenge of, of permanence, of a permanent mm. installation yeah. in this hybrid space. And we'll see some images um, as well of, of the way in which members of the community contributed to um, the painting of this work of art. But maybe you can unpack that, that sense of risk and permanence and what that felt like from your perspective as the commissioned artist, but also, Andrew, uh, for the community um, working with Graham alongside this. Um, for an artist, permanence changes everything. If you're making a work that is going to be in a space permanently, and it, especially if it reflects either public or, or community's faith, um, there's, uh, it's, a, it's a big challenge for the artist to make sure that this community's story is being seen. And not only, the, the risk is if you don't, as an artist, that work doesn't get maintained or it gets ripped out earlier than, um, earlier than it should be. So I had that experience of... Um, of working at St. Stephen's in Bristol. Uh, and that's, um, St. Stephen's Bristol is a very important church in, in Bristol because it's a church that um, blessed every ship that left uh, Bristol. So every slave ship that left Bristol, uh, that church was, uh, was part of the blessing of that. And if you know about Colston, Edward Colston, there's a statue falling down. Edward Colston is, um, it's, is, is part of uh, the fabric of, essentially fabric in the, the history of that church, whereas uh, they would have um, celebrated his birthday in it. So when I was commissioned to do that work in there, I knew that there was, this is big contentious history in it, around it. But I knew uh, my responsibility as an artist is to support those people uh, that are going to look after it when I've gone and also, how will it represent the church in the next 200 years? Because once it's in, it cannot be taken out for 200 years. So um, they're, they're taking a big risk on any, well, any, any institution like that. Their, 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 um, their decision is a 200-year decision. Um, I wish I had 200 years to think about this. But as it is, if for me, then I had to kind of recognize that, that I've got a, a big responsibility um, as an artist to make sure that this work actually remains in situ. And the only way I can do that is to make sure that the that um, I'm embedded with the community. They see that I'm invested in it, and they will look after it. 
uh, is very important. And if I don't do that, then I'm just uh, an artist that can just, I've just parachuted in because I might be famous and I just parachute work in. There's no agency with the uh, people that, that live and work in there. And they don't really feel a part of it. So that wasn't my experience in Bristol. And there was an opportunity this time, because this is a brand new church, whereas um, St. Stephen's is a medieval church. This one is a time when, um, when a creative ceremony can be involved. Um, Might we see some of the yep. images of, of that, um, that creative ceremony? That's a beautiful way of putting it, of uh, members of the community being involved in, yep. in painting that work. Andrew, you were there with your young people. <laughs> Do you want to say a little bit about the importance of that as a moment for you as a community? Yeah, it was probably one of the most significant moments, um, especially on the centrepiece um, around um, you know, adding to the, to the, to the black hole um, and the sense of mystery. Um, and I think sometimes when we describe God as mystery, it's something that's, that's not knowable, but actually mystery is something, the mystery of God is something that is eternally knowable, always knowable. So no matter how much you know, there will always be more to know. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a beautiful journey. But then also everyone has that opportunity to contribute to that because of the lives, their lives lived where God has been intimately involved with them in their lives. And so I think that, that was really significant being able to... Um, make a mark on that centerpiece um, and it's and if we're talking about risk actually this is a community that risk is the norm and it's it's just you know in comparison to um, um, other churches where it's it's a lot more established actually this is we, we walked in that and this was a space which was born out of um, many temporary spaces um, and ideas of church and community um, you know, we centered um, intimacy and community over grandeur when we decided to build our, um, our church. Um, and the artwork needed to really reflect that sense of intimacy and community. Hence why, again, this dance of God, perichoresis, where it's, it draws in people. It draws in everybody. And the colors that you chose were the, the colors that were reflected in the housing blocks, the social housing blocks. They drew in into the center of God those who are at the edges of our own communities. And so all of that risk in some sense, actually, this was it's, it's our MO. And I wonder if picking up on that, um, that description, Andrew, and that, that image of, um, of community life and of intimacy, we've got an image um, of some of the young people performing and gathering around seeing this altarpiece. And I wonder if we can, there we are, to take a look at the impact of the altarpiece as a whole. I'm remembering that this was commissioned and designed as an altarpiece around which the community that you're part of gathers to celebrate the Eucharist, to break bread together, to be drawn into that very particular moment of the Christian narrative that on the night where Jesus is betrayed, he takes bread and invites his disciples to do this in remembrance. But knowing that, that through Graham's work, we're setting that against the, the power, the energy, the mystery, the wonder of God, and that, that um, language, Andrew, that you've come back to time and time again, this sort of divine dance. So I wonder whether we can just reflect a little bit on, on the kind of ongoing 
community formation around this piece of work and how maybe that impacts upon the wider community, knowing that, that the engine room is very much a hybrid space. And if we can use that, the quotation, which I think both of you were struck by, um, for a, a quotation which we have got on the slide um, from Richard Giles, which talks about a sacred place, a sanctuary, as a place of regeneration, creativity, and transformation. And knowing that that quote really stayed with you both, I wonder if we could just unpack something of that, that ongoing transformation and impact on a community that, yes, is gathering to break bread together, but also a community that has a low threshold of entry for a whole range of community activities. Remind me, Andrew, but when I think, when we had, uh, had loads of these discussions, these theological discussions, when he came round to the lock, lock keeper's cottage, and we were talking about, because uh, uh, we wanted to make sure, I wanted to make sure that they could see the Trinity very clearly. Uh, and because at the same time, um, the work has to, it has to help um, everyone that's in the space from, to interpret it. I have to find a way that they can do that. And this quote, I think, Andrew um, Williams, I think you guys came round and explained that quote to me. And I was just struck by it. And, you know, a sacred place, a sanctuary, is a place of regeneration, creativity, and transformation. It's, it's um, I think, even if you take that into your, as a microcosm, take that into your daily life, it's very important. It's a very important quote. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a very universal quote. It's not, I wouldn't say it's necessarily Christian. I think it's, it's just, um, it's a great inspiration. Um, that could be for your bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll see it on placards everywhere. Yeah, everywhere, yeah, exactly. Bumper stickers. Yeah. But, um, but that really helped me, well, actually encouraged me because it felt that I was, I was, the work was on the right path. Everything that we were working towards was on the right path when that quote came in. And it solidified exactly the objective of that space. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about, more about how. Yeah, yeah. And I know I mentioned a bit about sort of the dance of God. Yeah. Um, but the dance of God acted in our, out in our communities is looks like justice. It, it, it looks like restoration. It looks like peace. It looks like all of these things. And, um, and, and so our sanctuary spaces need to reflect that um, in a dynamic way um, and so hence our church community space um, was designed to serve that particular purpose where it can be a place of of deep contemplation as at the same time being at a place of um, regeneration and so that's that for me is is truly sacred um, yeah thank you We've got a couple of images of um, not only the Eternal Engine, but also the Stations of the Cross that Graham mentioned earlier. And for you to know that, that these pieces are situated 
in this same hybrid worshipping community space. And a couple of weeks ago when the three of us were having this sort of conversation, but at much greater length, um, sitting in what Graham calls the sort of sweet spot between these two pieces of work. Um, one of those, an image of meditation and of contemplation. So, um, so there we have the image of uh, the stations, but also uh, sitting in that same spot, but oriented in a different direction, looking uh, upon the eternal engine. And when we were looking between, sitting between these two images, we talked a little bit, Graham, about the idea of them needing each other as works of art to protect each other in some way. Yes. And I just wonder that we might say a little bit about that before we move towards our, our final question. Um, well, I was, um, I was only commissioned for the Eternal Engine. And um, this is a brand new space, obviously. So uh, I was, my concern was that when you walk into a space like this, it wouldn't be obvious that you're walk, walking into a, um, a sacred space or a sanctuary or anything. You, you know, it could be a high-end office. It could be, you know, that could be anywhere in, in New York or... Chicago it could be anywhere. Uh, so I suggested, and I think you guys bit my hand off for this, but I suggested that in order to make sure that when someone walks into this space, they know exactly what it's about, was I suggested I loan the Stations of the Cross to them to be on one wall. And so when you're walking to that space, you do see this kind of, this massive eternal engine, this universal cosmics, you know, galaxy, you know, wide, wide mystery and wonder. And, and you would see um, the, uh, the macrocosm of, of, a, of, human, exist, of human experience. And then you would turn to the right and you would go to the, the microcosm of that very important journey of the Stations of the Cross. And then there was a kind of intersection between the two. Um, when I make work like this, I'm only thinking about essentially the individual rather than um, a, a whole room. Uh, and uh, with, with, uh, I go back to St. Stephen's when one of the most important, um, the, I say, the, the, the most important um, audience for me was every week they had an NA or AA meeting in St. Stephen's. And I was working in the church and I had a little corner to myself. Um, and every Every week, I'd saw without, without without fail, one of those guys being in the church had no altar because I was replacing it, and they would sit there in contemplation and just be ready in, in almost like um, in preparation for going into this meeting. And I got to know those guys quite well because the toilet was right through their meeting. So I had to go right through their meeting and say, sorry, I'm not listening, not listening, just walking through, just going to use the toilet. Um, but I was always struck by 
the courage that these guys had when they would sit there in contemplation preparing to go in to NA or AA. And, and I thought, I'm making this altarpiece for someone like that as well as marriages, births, deaths, christenings, all this kind of stuff. Um, so I'm, but I'm thinking about that person who's going in and they're having a rough day and they need to contemplate um, or meditate on something on a microcosm, on a macrocosmic and microcosmic level. Um, and I, having the stations across there, I think solidifies that space and protects, they protect each other. Andrew, yeah. 10 seconds. 10 seconds. Um, 10 seconds. I mean, we because were, there's one question I want to leave you both with. All right. I mean, I mean we, were, we were totally cool about it. I was like, yeah, yeah, if you want to lend it, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we tried to be totally chill about it, but yeah, we weren't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, I, we absolutely loved the, the, the stations. Partly, again, it's the particular to the, um, to the universal. Um, and especially that last panel um, where, it, where it's the 15th panel of the, of the stations where... Um, it's the boy holding the hand of, of the father and the father pointing out, oh, we're made of that. Yeah. And then that points to, to, the, um, to the eternal engine. And that was just, yeah, again, from the particular to the, to the, um, to the universal and both ways. Yeah. Thank you. We've talked a lot about the particular and the particularity of people and place, the particularity of who Jesus is for a Christian community alongside the kind of awe and wonder and mystery of that, um, that the cosmos and uh, the eternal engine. Andrew's helpfully then reconnected us with the sense that all this is about an orientation to the nature of God's kingdom and those values lived out tangibly over time around justice and peace. However, one of the things um, I want to end with is the sense of the provocative nature, in some ways, of this kind of intentional religious art. And in one of our discussions, Graham used this fab phrase that religion is where the punk is now. And so just wondering if in the final minutes that we have left to us, whether I can just give you both chance to respond to that question in terms of um, people seeking after something that's numinous, people seeking common ground and wanting to recognise something of belonging, um, whether there is something that is radical and risky and prophetic about this kind of work. So I'll ask that to Graham first and then to Andrew as part of that community. Right. Uh, you've really put me in it now. Um, religion is the uh, new punk, right? Um, you could, yeah, you could do a whole lecture on that, really. I always think about what is, what is currently counterculture. Uh, um, I always think what currently is counterculture is a skill that often we're not getting taught very well is to listen without prejudice and to listen not to react but to really understand. Um, that takes a lot of courage and takes a lot of work uh, and a lot of wisdom, and um, and I think that that's, for me, when, you, when you're when you of someone of religious faith, it's incumbent upon you to 
when you listen to someone who has, who's suffering, the only way you're going to find out how they're suffering is if you listen without prejudice and you listen to understand. And that, is, that for me is, if you're of a, of a religious faith or discipline, um, that is quite punk right now. That is really quite punk. You're able to kind of listen and just hear the person out. Um, is, uh, uh, it's almost like uh, there's a lot of talk about the, um, what's the, word? Uh, the, freedom, of, the freedom of speech, uh, but really you, it's, it's the freedom to listen. You, you do have the freedom to listen and the freedom to think. And that is why I think if you're of the religious faith, you have more of a tendency to listen. You, you know, that is your, that is your gig. Um, uh, I don't know if that explains it. <laughs> no, thank you, Graham. I'll give Andrew the last word in response to that. Yeah, yeah, religion is new punk. I like that. Um, yeah, because hopefully you would see that religion would centre intimacy, um, uh, commitment. Um, it, would, uh, it would stand alongside the most vulnerable, um, suffer alongside the most vulnerable, inhabit it, um, walk alongside it, become the, the, the insufferable <laughs> as well. You know, all, all of those things. And I think that is, uh, those, those things are hard. Uh, and it's getting, it feels like it's getting harder in our communities. Um, and, uh, and in some sense, that's also resisting um, the temptation to not be intimate, to not be vulnerable, to not c be committed to those who are um, right on the edges of our communities um, for, our, you know, for our own reputation or for, for whatever reason, um, for our own sanity even. And I would say, yeah, that, that, that's pretty punk. Thank you both. A good note to end on. As you can see, we could probably talk for another hour. We don't have that much time this afternoon. But thank you both to Graham and to Andrew for sharing their reflections on what has been a really fabulous project. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the AKC podcast. If you have enjoyed this lecture, please click subscribe in your podcast app to receive future episodes. AKC, at the heart of King's thinking.